Speaking of Lord Willing and the Creek Don't Rise, that is a song I found out this week by Jerry Reed. Clearly you guys don't know who Jerry Reed is. All right. Um, but he also wrote another song that has lyrics that are very um, pertinent to this morning. Uh, and those lyrics go, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Okay? Because we're in Philippians 3, and Philippians 3 is absolutely packed. Right? It is dense with theology and doctrine and all the things that make nerdy people like me get really excited. Uh, so me preparing this week was like trying to fill up this water bottle with a fire hydrant. Okay? Uh, so here's what I've done. I've done the best that I can to pack all of this into the next 30-ish, you guys know me, 35, 40 minutes. And, uh, and, and we're going to get through it together. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to get after it. All right? So we're going to jump right in. Philippians chapter 3, we will look at really all of chapter 3, but we'll start with the first 11 verses, all right? So here's what Paul writes. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Sounds gross. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's important. We're coming back to that. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So uh, the, the title this morning, right, every week so far we've been talking about finding joy in something, right? Finding joy in one another, finding joy in suffering, finding joy in humility. And this morning we're talking about finding joy in uh, in faith, okay? And, and I really want to make sure we understand what I, what I mean when I say that. Um, is Because right here in the middle of the letter, right? First, I think it's funny that Paul starts with, finally, my brothers, like he's actually getting ready to, to wind down, despite the fact he still has half of his letter to go. Paul is clearly a preacher, right? You guys know, you've been in, if you've been in church for a while, you know that when the preacher says, so in conclusion, or finally you still got 10 to 15 minutes of content, right? Like you guys know that with me. When I say I'm about to land the plane, you know that it's going to be a while before we're on the runway, okay? So that's what Paul does here. He says, finally, my brothers. Uh, but then he says, rejoice in the Lord. So right smack dab in the middle of his letter to the Philippians, he's reminding them of where joy is ultimately found, right? Yes, there's joy in one another. Yes, there's joy in uh, suffering. There's joy to be found in humility, but all of those things hold together in Jesus, right? Rejoice in the Lord. 
Right? That's the, the point that it's, it's a reminder for us, right? Because what he's saying is that joy, though it's found in all these other things that we've talked about, it's ultimately found in a person, and his name is Jesus. All right, we talked about joy in one another. Well, it's Jesus that unites us together in this place. Right? That, that's the reason we're here, is because we're here to worship the risen Savior, Jesus. Right? We talked about, a couple of weeks ago, joy in suffering. Right? And, and kind of the lens we looked at that with was Jesus was the one who suffered for us. And it's been granted to us, Paul says earlier in his letter, it's been granted to us to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Right? And then last week we talked about joy in humility. Right? And, and humility was, again, Paul laid it out for us. That's what Jesus was. Though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, he humbled himself, right? became a man, went to the cross, died for sins that were not his own, right? for all for the benefit of you, you, that's not you, you and me, right, in humility. And so Jesus is the example of humility. So when we talk about all these things where we find joy, they're all rooted together in Jesus, right? So when we talk about finding joy in faith, what we're talking about is finding joy in the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because apart from him, like, there is no enduring joy, right? So, when I, when I say finding joy in faith, we're talking about faith in a person, faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? That's kind of underneath all these other places we're finding joy. That's the thing that, that holds them all together, all right? And what Paul's going to make this point in, in Philippians chapter 3 is that it's faith in Christ that is, that's where joy is found. And it's for all of the Christian life from beginning to end, right? From, from salvation here on earth to the moment that we experience it fully in eternity, right? That's what our joy is rooted in, through faith in Christ, right? So uh, I've kind of got three big ideas because that's what we do as preachers. Um, three big ideas for us to kind of walk through in, in this text. And the first, first one is this. Through faith in Christ, righteousness is received, Right? Through faith in Christ, righteousness is received. So with like, faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ is foundational. And, and what's interesting, I think, is, is that Paul, remember his circumstances, he's in prison. Right? He's, uh, he's, he's been imprisoned for his preaching of the gospel. He doesn't know what awaits him. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed. He doesn't know. And I find it so striking that the thing that... Uh, that is on his mind is the, the well-being of, of the Philippians, right? And here's what he, he says. He, he says, he reminds, he's warning them. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul's in prison in terrible circumstances. And the thing that's forefront on his mind is the well-being of this church that he loves and cares for. And so he gives them this warning. Hey, look out for these men who uh, will show up unwanted and uninvited, who will come in and seek to distort the gospel that I've preached to you. And the reason that Paul knows this is because it's happened like everywhere he's went along the way. Right? He comes in, he preaches the gospel. Men and women repent of their sin. They turn, they put their trust in Jesus. And then these guys 
kind of follow up and say, actually, that's not enough. You need to do this also. Now, he refers to them as uh, mutilators of the flesh because these were men who uh, quite literally relied on the fact that they were circumcised in accordance with the Old Testament law. That's, that was their confidence uh, when it came to their standing before God. They said, we, we've been circumcised. We've followed through with the Old Testament law. Uh, so we're good. Us and God, we're in good shape. Right? They put all their confidence in the flesh. And what Paul comes in and says is that, uh, that, that our standing before God is not based on some sort of external marker on us. Right? These men put all their confidence in their flesh despite the fact that their hearts were far from God. And what Paul says is, is now that Christ has come, he's perfectly fulfilled the law, Right? He didn't abolish the law. He, he didn't like kick it to the curb. He said the law is good, but you can't fulfill it. I will fulfill it for you. So now our righteousness is not based on what we've done to keep or obey the law. Our righteousness is based on Jesus who did it for us. Right? That's what, what Paul is writing with here. Right? He says um, that we put no confidence in our flesh, which means that our standing before God is not based on our achievements. It's not based on uh, our accomplishments. Our standing before God is not based on our church attendance. Our standing before God is not based on anything that we think we might do to earn ourselves favor with God. Paul's saying that's not how this works, right? And that's not just Paul says that. You look back in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says that, that all of our efforts to kind of gain any righteousness of our own amounts to nothing more than a pile of filthy wrecks. Right? Our best efforts, our best day is nothing more than a dirty wash rag. Right? Because righteousness is not earned, it's received. And, and this is written by a man who had plenty of reasons to boast. Right? He'd accomplished a lot of things. Even, I mean, he accomplished a lot for Jesus, but, but even before Jesus... Before his conversion, um, Paul was, uh, he, he's, well, he read off his credentials there. He says, it's almost like Paul's bragging a little bit, right? He says, uh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he begins to list off his credentials, right? He's, like, he is the golden standard of the religiously elite of the day. And yet, for all he's accomplished, for all that he's earned, for all of his rankings, for all the respect that he'd earned from the religious community of that day, um, he says all of that is, is, is loss. I count it as loss. It doesn't compare with knowing Jesus Christ. Right, the word that he uses is, he says that it's rubbish. Right? I, I don't know if you know what the literal translation of that is, but basically it's dung. All of his accomplishments, all of his his achievements, that he thought he could earn some sort of righteousness on his own before God. He says, all of that is nothing more than the stuff you scrape off the bottom of your shoe before you walk in the house. Right? Because none of that earns you any sort of righteousness before God. Because righteousness is received. It's not earned. Now, if I can try and apply that a little bit. Um, here's why this is good news. Right? Through 
faith in Jesus Christ, like if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you have been declared righteous before a holy God. Right? That's good news because God has really high standards. And the bad news is on your own, you can't meet those standards. But the good news is that through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been uh, given what uh, theologians or uh, theology nerds like myself and seminary graduates, what we call imputed righteousness. You ever heard that before? Oh, a few people. Okay, I'm impressed. All right. It just means that, here's what it means. So Jesus lived a perfect life, perfectly fulfilled God's law. Right? And then in his death on the cross and his resurrection, right, he made his righteousness available to you so that all who would call on the name of Jesus, all who would believe in Jesus, all who would respond to the good news of the gospel, Jesus' perfect righteousness has been given to you. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see uh, all your imperfections and imperfect record. If you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' perfect record in place of your broken record. It's like, uh, maybe an illustration will be helpful. Um, let's just say I was going to be, let's say I was standing in front of a judge based on my driving record. Cannot confirm nor deny that that is a real story. All right, but let's just say I'm standing in front of a judge and I'm about to be sentenced because of my driving record. Right, which is less than perfect. All right? Fun fact, anything over 80 in Virginia is considered reckless driving. I would argue reckless is a subjective term. I had full control of my vehicle. <laughs> Nevertheless, the law disagreed. All right, so I'm standing in front of a judge about to be sentenced for my driving record, and then all of a sudden, the judge instead sentences me based on my wife's driving record, which is perfect, unblemished, spotless, which in and of itself is a miracle because she's got a heavier foot than I do, all right? But still, nevertheless, her record's perfect, mine is not, and the judge looks down and he judges me not on the basis of my record, but on hers. That's what this means, that righteousness is received, right? That, that man, what we have in Jesus is it's his righteousness imputed, given to us when we trust in him. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. It's received. And maybe you're like, gosh, this seems like too easy, right? We're going to get to that in a minute. But, but this is good news this morning. Because, man, like how joy-crushing would it be if your righteousness before God depended on you? I mean, I don't know what your life is like, but... Just take, for example, like we can't even keep up with the standards we set for ourselves, right? How is New Year's resolutions going? You know what I'm saying? So if your righteousness before God depends on your ability to keep God's standard when you can't even keep your own, well, then you're in trouble. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus' righteousness is given fully to all who trust in him. That's the good news this morning. That's joy. To know that, that when God looks at me, because I've trusted in Jesus as my Savior, when God looks at me, he doesn't see, he doesn't judge me based on all of my brokenness and all of my sin and all of my, right? He, he sees Jesus' perfect record 
kept and given to me. That's what it means to be hidden in Christ. And that's the good news, right? That righteousness is received, right? But Paul's not going to let us off the hook entirely, all right? Because the second point, uh, I'll give you the point and then I'll explain it, right? It says, through faith in Christ, progress is perfected. Because Paul goes on here. Let's look at what he writes in verse 12. He says, not that I am already... Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So here's, here's what I've... <laughs> I think verse 12 might be one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. You've got... I'm going to read it again. This is the... Paul. Paul's writing this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Pause. The Apostle Paul, the uh, greatest missionary, church planner, pastor uh, the world has ever known, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament that, that you're holding or scrolling through right now, uh, the man who, who had a, like a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, the man responsible for the spread of Christianity throughout the world, more responsible for it than anyone who's not named Jesus. That's the guy who says, you know what? I have not arrived yet. I am not perfect. So look, breathe this morning. If the Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm not there yet, then don't be crushed by the fact that you're not there yet. Right? But, Paul does say, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Right? So, so Paul's not saying, like, don't do anything. Right? The reality is, is we come here, it, it's okay to not be okay. But what Paul is going to press us towards is it's just not okay to stay there. Right? So you're here this morning and you're just like, man, my life is a wreck. Great. You're in a great spot. I'm glad you're here. If you're here this morning and you're just like, you feel like you just got to put up this facade, this wall that's like, I've got my life together. Everything is perfect. Right? When somebody hits you in the, the hallway, like, how are you doing? I'm blessed, brother. Okay? And maybe you are, but like, it's okay to not be okay. But what Paul's pushing us towards here is, is we just don't want to stay there. Right? And, and we don't... Again, we don't effort and work and strain and strive like Paul's talking about. We don't do it to earn anything from God. We do it because, as Paul says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Right? That means our identity is already established. The moment you put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, for the hope of eternal life, your identity is established. And so for all that, that Paul says that we 
we strive, we, we press on, we grow, we do that because our identity is, is already established. Like, it's already ours. What we're doing is growing into more and more every day as we, as we grow in our obedience to the word, as we uh, walk and keep in step with the spirit, as we do those things day after day after day. All we're doing is growing further and further into the identity that's already ours. You're not earning anything from God. You're not trying to impress him by your track record of obedience. Right? You obey to become what Jesus says you already are. Another way to say it is this. Our identity in Jesus comes before our activity for Jesus. Being comes before doing. And according to Paul, it says, we already belong to Jesus. Or as he says in verse uh, 16, that we, we've already attained this. Right? It's already ours. But we still do. Right? We still strive to grow in maturity. We still drive, st strive, I'm struggling. We still <laughs> strive to grow in obedience to God's word. We still strive to grow in community with one another. We still strive to grow in all these places that the word of God would tell us we want to grow in these places. But again, this is not so that God will look at us and be impressed with us. It's just so that we grow into who he says we already are in Jesus Christ. And the good news, the good news is that, that even though we're going to stumble at this and we're going to fail at this, and some days like, it feels like we just have to crawl to get there, the good news is that in Jesus Christ, like through faith in Jesus Christ, one day all of our progress will be perfected. Right? All of our striving and struggling and our three steps forward and two steps back, like one day it will be perfected. It just won't be on this side of eternity. Right? But one day we'll stand face to face with our Savior and we'll be perfected. Not because we got there ourselves, but because he who called us is faithful. Because... Uh, as Paul said in chapter one, he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. Our progress will be perfected. All right, here's last point. This is through faith in Christ, eternity is secured. Look at the last few verses here, starting in verse 17. It says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, whom I have, excuse me, who I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then he continues in the first part of chapter four. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So Paul encourages the Philippians as he does other, other letters that he writes to 
encourages them to imitate him, right? And to imitate and follow the example of those who, uh, who are striving, who are growing, who are making efforts to walk in greater obedience to the Lord, right? But then he also gives them a warning, right? And he warns against uh, those who, he says, have um, walk as enemies of the cross, right? Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, the glory and their shame, their minds are set on earthly things. Paul warns against following the example of these men. And what he's talking about here is there's, there's some group of, of people here that Paul's addressing that have put their uh, joy in temporary earthly things. Their God is their belly is just another way of saying that, that their whole goal in life is just personal satisfaction at whatever cost. I'm going to do whatever makes me happy now. I'm going to do whatever satisfies me now. I'm going to do whatever uh, meets these desires that I have now. And the warning that Paul gives them is he says, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Now, you know why Paul includes this as a warning to God's people, the church of Philippi? Because it's a temptation. Even for God's people, there is a real temptation to place all of your joy in just satisfying whatever you want in the moment, right? Whether that's whatever earthly thing you want to fill in the blank with. It could be greed. It could be materialism. It could be lust. It could be pride. It could be, I mean, fill in the blank with whatever your thing is. Like, that's a real temptation, to seek to satisfy yourself here and now with temporary earthly things. And what Paul says to them is, is the end is death and destruction. And the reason he warns the Philippians is that to, to pursue those things, to pursue uh, that which is considered earthly or temporary and to put all your joy and all your satisfaction in that, the point that Paul's making is that to do that is to reject the identity that's already yours. Because this is our identity. In verse 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are not primarily a citizen of this kingdom. You've got dual citizenship, right? I mean, you've got to live and move and breathe and work and exist here and now. But this is not ultimate. You are a citizen of a different kingdom. And so what Paul's saying is we put to death the things that are earthly in us because they're not consistent with, with our true identity. They're not consistent with our, our ultimate citizenship, which is not in the things of this world, but in heaven. Right? Our citizenship is in heaven. So we're called to live in eager anticipation of what it will one day be like to actually live completely and fully as a citizen of heaven. And we're called to live in eager anticipation of what it will be like to live in the presence of our Savior, where I use this all the time, and this will not be the last time you hear me reference it, where one day we'll live in uh, the fullness of joy. Whatever the most in, enjoyed, that's not the right way to say it, whatever the most uh, joyous thing or, or experience you've enjoyed the most in this earth 
will pale in comparison to what it's like to live as a citizen of heaven with your Savior, Savior, with your King. That's what we're called to. That's what we're waiting for. And the good news in Christ is that's what's already ours because we are citizens of a different kingdom and our eternity is secured. So here's, I'm doing, I'm doing the thing that Paul did. Here's where we're going to land the plane. All right, so you got about 10 more minutes here. <laughs> As I was, again, just looking through Philippians 3, Here's the thing that when I was trying to figure out how am I going to fill up this water bottle with this fire hydrant, the thing that just kind of laid out in front of me is Philippians 3 is just a, I think it's just a concise overview of the Christian life. What I mean by that is, here's what I think we see. Philippians 3. It's about salvation. It's about God declaring us righteous not because of anything that we have or have not done, but because of what Jesus did for us. Trusting in Jesus for salvation, and that's the beginning of the Christian life. It's about uh, sanctification. We talked about this last week. Another one of those big Bible, actually that word's not even in the Bible, big theological word for uh, just the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. Right? Striving, like Paul says, pressing forward, pressing on. That's, that's what Philippians 3 is about. To grow into that identity that's already ours more and more every day as we seek to grow in our maturity, grow in obedience to the Lord, grow in our walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. All right, so it's about salvation. Philippians 3 is about sanctification. And the good news we just looked at is Philippians 3 is about glorification. Again, another big word that just means one day. One day. We're going to stand before our Savior, made perfect. Like Paul says, our our, uh, lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. That we'll stand before him one day perfect in, in every way. Not because of anything that we've done, not because of how awesome that we are, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us. It's a... Good news of Philippians 3 is that there's joy to be found through faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's through faith in Jesus that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved here and now from the power of sin in our lives. But the good news is that one day we will be saved fully and finally forever from the presence of sin. That's why there's joy in Jesus Christ. That's why there's joy in faith in Jesus Christ. Because all this, all this is ours. So here's what we're going to do this morning. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song of response here in just a minute. But I want to give you some prompts that you might respond. Because we are going to receive the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. All right? So, so as, as they come up to leave, here's, I'm going to give you just a few things to think through, all right? One, maybe you're here and you're still trying to impress God with your own righteousness because you've never actually trusted 
in the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that he was perfect where you could not be and that he died on the cross to pay your penalty. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus. This would be a, a great time for you to do that. To turn from your sin, to turn from your own attempt at righteousness and just put your trust in the one whose righteousness he's willing to give to you through faith. You don't, you don't work for it. You don't earn it. You receive it as a gift. All right? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're just sort of spiritually lethargic. All right? Maybe uh, you, you're here this morning and, and just unlike Paul who says he strives and to presses on to attain the goal, right? he's, he's moving forward. Maybe you're here and you're just kind of like you haven't made a lot of movement in a while. Right? Just sort of spiritually apathetic. And man, this is, this is a time for you to respond, to, to repent of to repent of that. Just to say, Lord, I've been, I've been spiritually lazy. I've made no efforts to grow. I've made, I haven't been striving to grow in obedience to your word or uh, in obedience to your spirit. I've made no effort to grow. This would be a time for you to respond and to repent of that. Right? To, to commit yourself to spending time in God's word. To commit yourself to, to following the promptings of the spirit. To commit yourself to the life of the church. Right? And maybe you're here Maybe here and in, in you've just given yourself over to the pursuit of earthly things. Like the men that, that Paul warns about here, when he says they're they just given themselves over to earthly things, temporary things. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you've just given yourself over to uh, the love of money or pride or bitterness or lust or greed or envy or again, you can fill in that blank with anything. But maybe you just Maybe one of the reasons you haven't made any effort to grow in obedience to Christ is because you've just given yourself over to that which is earthly. And this would be a, a place for you to repent of that. To just confess that before the Lord. Maybe to pull someone else aside that you trust and confess that to them, that they might hold you accountable in that. Right? Or maybe you're here this morning and it's just that the grind of life is just taking your eyes off of what really matters. Right? Just, just the, the weight of living in a fallen world has, uh, has just taken your eyes off of the reality that your citizenship is not in this world. That you are a citizen of a higher kingdom. And maybe you just got caught up in the fray. I mean, you weren't trying to. It's just, I get it, life is hard. Right? The world has fallen. We live around broken people. We are broken people. It's difficult. And so maybe all of that has just taken your eyes off of, of your true identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then if that's you, your response this morning is to just ask the Lord to restore to you the joy of salvation. Just to create in you an awareness of who he already says you are. Again, not because of how awesome you are but because of everything that Jesus has done for you. All right? So before we close and pray, I'm going to read this over us just to kind of lead us in this time of response. I'm going to come back in just a minute and we'll receive the Lord's Supper together, but I do want to read this just as we uh, take this time to, to sing and to pray and reflect and respond. Here's, here's what Paul writes about what we're about to do here. He says, For as often as you eat this bread, 
and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So here's what we're going to do. As the band's going to come, they're going to sing. I want you to just take a few moments just to quietly, I mean, if you want to sing, that's awesome, right? But if you want to just pause and reflect and respond, repent where necessary, and then when you're ready, as the band's playing, you can come forward, receive the elements, uh, take them back to your seat, and then I'll come back up here in just a minute and we'll take them collectively together as a church body, all right? So let me pray for us, and then we'll continue. Father, we come to you this morning, and, uh, and I stand here just grateful that, you're, uh, that, that we have access to so much just through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, that through his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, that we're about to celebrate and remember here in just a moment, that, that because of that, that we, have, that we have the ability to receive perfect righteousness, that our, that our standing before God is not based on how well we did this week, but it's based on Jesus in our place. And we're thankful for that this morning. So I, I pray, Father, that, that in this moment, as we take some time to just think and reflect, to repent where necessary, I pray that you would even now just bring things to mind, maybe things this week where we need to confess and say, I've fallen short here. Or maybe it's just things from, or maybe you might even bring things up from weeks and months, even years ago, that we could lay at the foot of your cross with the, the full assurance that when we bring those things to you in faith, that, or that, that you are faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, I pray that uh, you would examine our hearts in this moment, that we would examine our hearts in this moment. And I hear in just a minute when we receive your Lord's Supper, that we would do so with, with pure hearts before you. And that then we would celebrate because of what you've done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Father, lead us to respond as you would have us to respond. We pray, we ask all this in Jesus' name.